Old Stone Creamery, we're whipping up three new batter ice cream flavors for the summer. Introducing sugar cookie batter, fudge brownie batter, and peanut butter cookie batter, each with the homemade taste of batter right off the spoon. We're also blending up a decadent sugar cookie batter ice cream shake, piled high with whipped topping, yellow cake, sugar cookie dough, caramel, and rainbow sprinkles. For a limited time only at Cold Stone Creamery, making fresh batches of ice cream in every store. Magic moment. Welcome to Crime Wire, a program dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved crimes and educating the public about various types of crimes and how to avoid becoming a victim. If you'd like to submit a case to Crime Wire or suggest a topic for a future show, please email us at thenewcrimewire at gmail.com. My name is Denny Griffin, and on today's show, my co-host, Delilah Jones, and I We'll discuss the 2004 death of 30-year-old Sheila Deviney in Maysville, Oklahoma. On January 6, 2004, Sheila took her children to school at 8 a.m. She spoke with a good friend of hers via cell phone on her way home. Upon arriving at her house, she told her friend she had important visitors and seemingly nervous and did the call. At 10 minutes past 10, a passerby found... Sheila's trailer burned and still smoldering. Sheila, her body burned beyond recognition, was found by responding firefighters. Evidence revealed that three separate fires had been started in the trailer. One began on a propane heater in what would later be called an amateur attempt to make this location appear to be the source of the fire. A second fire was started in the bathroom and a third on Sheila herself by using flammable liquid splashed around her and soaked into spare clothing that was packed tightly against her while she was still alive. In effect, Sheila was turned into a porch by a person or persons intent on erasing all of the evidence. Joining us today is Sheila's mother, Susan. Susan, welcome to CrimeWare. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And uh, uh, we, we first talked about your case uh, a few years ago uh, on the original CrimeWire show. And uh, we wanted to get you back. It was one of, in fact, several Oklahoma cases that, that were uh, ongoing at the time. And what I'd like to do, if we could, Susan, is start at the beginning and tell us a little bit about your daughter, um, what was going on in her life prior to January 6th of 2004. Well, she and her husband had gotten a divorce, and they were always having a court cases or battles uh, over the children and uh, she originally got sole custody but then she had some problems and he regained custody but then he didn't really want them he just regained the custody to save him on child support and his mother tried to help care for the children but they were too much for her and eventually they gave the children back to Sheila and then she and Tyson worked out a joint custody agreement where he was to pay $300 a month, that's for both children, for the joint custody. And that's why she was living on our property in our home, because she was trying to get through school and she had no money. She did pay her phone bills, but 
as far as her living expenses, her father and I tried to take care of her and the children as well as we could. And um, on September 22nd, she regained full custody of the children after a lengthy um, trial in the summer of 2003. And the way I remember that is because it was her her second ex-husband's birthday that day. And the lawyer, they agreed that he, Tyson would have to go from paying 300 a month to paying 900 And so his lawyer kept filing continuances, and every time she would plead for money, and they were behind on the 300 They just filed continuance after continuance, and she even tied up the $800 that, that Bush gave because there were four children in the home Tyson was supposed to get for his income taxes. That was tied up, and they weren't happy about that. But um, anyway, they were scheduled to go back to court January the 5th. And when she got there, none of the attorneys or anyone was there, and no one told her that it had been continued until the, toward the end of January. And she was very upset. And her, her second ex-husband was with her there that day in court. And I remember calling and checking on her that day. And we came home, and she was just very depressed, had no money, and didn't know what she was going to do. And so she asked us, Dad, what do I do? And and he, he told her, he said, Sheila, you call their father because it's his responsibility to take care of them. So she did, and I, I know there was words over it. And she came over because we paid the children allowance. We paid them $20 a week to help feed the dogs and stuff just so that they would have money for things they needed at school. And they came over that evening and took care of the animals like they always did, and they were seven and nine. And... Uh, And then it was cold. It was extremely cold. It was like eight degrees out. And so I got up early and went to Stratford to work. And my husband called his pumpers because he said the wells freeze up, and he didn't know if they would still want him out there. And they told him, yes, they did. So he and my son took off to work. And then in my third hour, third hour, third or fourth hour class, um, the high school secretary came and got me, and she said, you have an emergency. I had left my cell phone because I taught between elementary and and junior high. And uh, I had to leave my phone in my other classroom. And she said, there's an emergency. You need to come take the call. Well, it was the high school secretary here at Maysville who always called Sheila to substitute teach for. And she said, Susan, where is Sheila? And I said, she's home. And she said, well, I've called her cell phone and I've called her home phone and I can't get an answer. She said, but her house is on fire, and everybody's trying to figure out how to get hold of you because I just changed jobs. And she said, I was the only one who knew. So I went to the high school secretary and told her that I had to leave. And then I went to the elementary and told her I had to leave. And I told my good friend Cindy that I worked with at elementary what happened and that I had to leave. Well, my elementary principal was in the computer lab working on a computer. So she didn't know any of this was going on. And so I left by myself. And my... Cindy went down and said to Kathy, she said, Kathy, I cannot believe you let her go by herself. And she said, well, what's going on? And Kathy had been one of Sheila's science teachers when she was in elementary school. And Cindy told her that her house was on fire and that I took off and they let me go by myself. So I immediately called the school to see if the children were in school and told them what was going on. And they they said, that's from here, but someone probably needs to come get them because this news is going to travel fast and they should hear all this from family. So then I called my husband, and I, I, my son and my husband sound almost just alike. And I said, Sheila's house is on fire and they can't find her. 
I just talked to Lisa, who found the house, and she said her car's there, but nobody can get her answer the phone. And my son, swear he swore he said a real bad word, and that's when I knew it wasn't my husband because my husband doesn't swear. And so I, I was starting to feel guilty then, and then my husband kept calling me, and I remember getting just north of Paul's Valley, Oklahoma, and. I thought, I can't do this. I can't drive. I'm going to have to go and have somebody drive me home. But somehow I had the strength to get here. And when I got to the corner where you turn off the main highway, the Maysville police was there at the bottom of the hill because they were blocking a lot of traffic. And I said, have you found Sheila? And with tears in his eyes, he looked at me and he said, I don't have that information. And so I drove up, and there was cars, I bet, for a half a mile north and south and east of us. And, and almost all the family were here and the neighbors. And I didn't even have a coat on that day. And I remember the Lisa that found the house, she took my car keys. And Dave's sisters, my sisters-in-law, were holding me by each arm. And my neighbor that lived just north of us had me around the neck because I was trying to get in that house to uh, to see if I could find her. And everyone was there. The ambulance was there. And... And nobody could find her. And then my husband got here, and he had to literally drive through the front yard across the ditch to get in because there was no way else to get in. And the fire trucks and everybody was here. They call fire trucks from all the surrounding areas. And uh, he walked up to me, and he said, what's going on? And, And I said, I don't know. And he said, I don't like this. And he and my husband, or he and my son ran around the house trying to get in every window. And I had to stand and, and watch him cross where she was and try to get in. And I remember the fire chief standing at the front door and saying, I can keep one of them out, but I can't keep both of them out. And my husband did get in the back door. He says he didn't see her. But the way he broke down right after, whenever we, the reality sunk in, they had to come and get me. And I had to go in because he was against the wall and he didn't know who he was or where he was. I really think he saw her as much as they tried because the fireman grabbed him by the shoulder and pulled him back out. And he he told Dave later that uh, if he had took one more step, he would have stepped on her. That's how bad the ashes and everything were. And so when I got him consoled and calmed down in here, because I, for some reason I was strong then, I don't know why. I don't know if my dad's spirit was with me from heaven or what, because my dad was a very, very strong man. But I was trying to call and, and get everything kind of taken care of. And he said, I can't do this. I don't know who I, who I am, where I am, or what. I, how am I going to fix it? And I said, well, for some reason, I'm real strong right now, and I don't know why. But I said, you know me. I, I'll go down. <clears throat> and I said, when I do, I'm going to need you to help me. And he held out his hand, and we shook on it, and we filled it with kiss. And that's how we... That's how we've dealt with it all these years. The reason now, we really weren't pushing it was because we wanted the children to be grown because they've they've had so it's like the Stockholm syndrome. They really, I don't know if they they know the reality of this and really what happened. Now, Susan, um, let me just ask you a couple of questions. Uh, so there was an ongoing, well, there was the divorce and then the the ongoing custody issues and child support issues. Um, what was the relationship then be, between uh, between Sheila and her husband or ex-husband at that point? Where uh, Obviously, they were opponents, but 
were they respectful of each other, or was there arguments? No, and, uh, no, there were there were threats, continual threats. She had a permanent protective order on him, and okay. the only way he would he would get the children was he would have to meet her in a public place with plenty of witnesses. She was very afraid of him. Okay, and uh, had he ever been? Uh, you say there were threats. Had he ever actually been abusive? I mean, had there actually been physical violence or no? Yes, uh, the whole time they were married, I remember. She always wore big baggy sweats and shirts and things, and he was such a large man, and she was so small that uh, when he would when he would physically abuse her, it was usually in her joints, like twisting her hand or her elbow or her knees, somewhere that it you know that it didn't bruise, but the pain was there. Okay, and, and that go ahead. Uh, just uh, for for. Those of us not familiar with Oklahoma or Maysville, can you tell us about how big a town it is? It's probably about 1,200 people. Okay, so it's and a small rural. Mm-hmm, small. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how how far was the scene of the fire from the downtown area? Was it a little bit outside? Two miles. Two miles. And it's a, miles. what do they have, a volunteer fire department or a paid city fire department? or? No, it's volunteer. It's all volunteer. And they... They had known Sheila because the fire chief um, went to school with their uncle, my husband's brother. All They all went to school together. So they, they knew my children as they were growing up. And if I followed you correctly, um, the child support issue, which, which kept getting these uh, postponements at, at court, the continuances, um, the uh, the ex-husband was looking at, a possible increase in the amount from 300 a month to 900 a month. Am I correct? Yes, you are correct, and I do have all the court documents on that. Okay, but he hadn't because of the continuances. He hadn't actually started paying that yet. Am I correct? It was it it had That's to be correct. ruled on in court. That's correct. So, uh, and what type of um, income did he have, or uh, you know, I mean, was would that amount of money have uh, hurt him financially quite a bit? Yes, we heard that his wife uh, from Georgia told him that he needed to take care of the situation. This is hearsay, or she was going to leave him because that was going to put him in a financial bind. Okay, so he was... At that time, we didn't know that her second ex-husband was killed in a car wreck in Georgia, and they were drawing Social Security death benefits for for her daughter. At that time, and then they moved to May to oh, Lindsay in August of 2003, and then Sheila was killed in January of 2004. So they started drawing Social Security death benefits in January, the, the month that she was killed, until May of this year when her youngest son graduated high school. And I figured out, I know it was $884 a month because her daughter has run off two or three times and come to live with us. And her dad finally did just sign her over to us. And we did receive that money for, for Morgan, but made sure it was used for Morgan. The children have nothing to show for that money right now. Nothing. Okay. So there was, uh, there was some hard feelings, you know, because of all the, the issues and the family court type stuff and the child support Plus, uh, the ex had some additional uh, uh, pressure from the 
from the next wife who was threatening if he didn't resolve the matter uh, that she was going to leave him. So there was a lot of stuff going on then at that time, huh? Yes, there was. There was. There was. And she was. She was afraid. She said, "My mom." She told me on Friday when he, it was his visitation weekend with children, "Mama, I'm scared. I'm, I'm scared they're going to kill me. He's going to kill me. You don't know him. You don't know him." And I said, "Sheila," because we were in the hot tub because I, I was, I stressed a lot when I taught school, and I said, "Oh, Sheila, your dad and I are just right here, just within walking distance. You know, we're not going to let anything happen to you." And I said, "Besides that, we have neighbors. We've got a neighbor less than a half a mile north of us, and another one." less than a half mile south of us. I said, we watch. We we watch real good. But for somehow, this was very well executed and very well planned for them because the far, the farmers that we live close to, um, they were feeding cows because it was cold. And they were they were out hauling hay and, and feeding the animals, their animals. And they slipped in and out before anybody saw. Now, in addition to uh, the issues... Uh, between Sheila and her ex, was she having problems with anyone else? Was there anything else going on, or was that pretty much the the source of the issues was the ex-husband? Uh, she and her second ex-husband were having issues, and I think she she was just so upset that he left that Monday night, uh, and then they had commun they had communications through the night, and then he came. The next day, one Dave called him to tell him about the fire. His sister had to drive him because he was working at Oklahoma City. And so, yeah, Sheila was the type, she didn't think she needed a man. You know, she she really did. She'd call her, her dad or her brother if she did. But in her mind, she was, she could take care of herself. Very, very independent. Okay, now... There, you say that you when you when you got to the the scene of the fire that morning, uh, there were cars all over the place. Apparently, a lot of volunteer firemen, I assume, and neighbors. And you said they called every fire department in the area, so they had a lot of manpower. Um, and then finally, uh, uh, Sheila's body was discovered. Now, what police agency did Mayville had it, had its own? Uh, police force or was it a county agency or multiple agencies? Maysville, the Maysville policeman was here. The medical examiner came from Ardmore, Oklahoma, John Miller, to investigate the scene, and he was upset from the very beginning. He was very distraught. He, he took her brother back in another room, and he said, did she have anybody upset with her or anything? And, and Davey said, well, she and Tyson were going to court because he was behind on his child support. And he said he owed her a lot of money. And he he said, he just said, well, that, this is interesting. And I took out some of her x-rays from when she was a child that I had when she had athletic injuries, and I handed them to the medical examiner, and I said, here, you need these so that you can verify it's her. And he said, ma'am, I won't need those. And so when they when they corner that from Maysville that I called, who also knew Sheila, he said Sheila was went on the first date with his uh, middle son, and I had forgotten. But uh, when he, whenever I called him, he had to after her body was loaded uh, in the hearse, he had to go by Purcell, by her, her dentist, and get her dental records for identification. Uh, okay, so there's some suspicion, apparently, at least by the the coroner, uh, right off the bat. Well, uh, right. Um, 
in the investigation, once once the the scene was uh, secured, and they started the actual investigation, and they to try to find out the causes and so forth, um, that they came up uh, with the solution or the decision that the fire had been started in three different locations. Am I correct on that? That was, but it wasn't by the state fire marshal. That was by the LPG fire marshal the next day because she okay. had propane, so he had to come out and inspect. But that day of the fire, before she could get into to the scene and the fire was completely out and everything, she stood out at the back of the pickup truck with Tyson and his brother because I, Tyson did call. Um, I called his work where he worked at Bruce Jones Construction, and they told me that, or my, they told my daughter and all that he wasn't there. He had left early that morning, and so while while we're there and, and everything's in a chaotic state, he calls and he starts yelling at my daughter and all. You could hear him on the phone. I don't appreciate people calling me in my place of work. And Betty said, Tyson, we were trying to get a hold of you because Sheila's house is on fire, and we need to go tell the kids. And Betty Betty was so scared, she just handed me the phone. And he started yelling at me about it. And I said, Tyson, you just moved here. I don't have any of your phone numbers. And I didn't know how to get a hold of you. And I said, that was the only way we knew. And then he kind of calmed down. And he he and his brother showed up. And then the fire they stood out with the fire marshal while she slitted her blonde hair and smoked cigarettes with her. And I heard from people that were here. They came and told me that all Tyson and his brother did was convince her how horrible of a person she was and that she was a druggie and she probably got all drugged up cooking or something and just fell asleep. So was the death initially classified as an accidental death or as a homicide? It was pending. Pending. The first one the first one was pending. And she tried to say the house was accidental. They did for nine months they tried to convince us that it was accidental. And my husband had serious words with the fire marshal and the OSBI because we went to the OSBI in January because we were suspicious then. And we gave him a list of names and maps and all kinds of people to talk to to try to find out something. And she continued to say that it was an accident over and over. And my husband told her and the OSBI agent, which... She and the agent had worked together in law enforcement to their previous positions. And he told both of them, he said, there's no way I, you, you convinced me that it was an accidental house fire. We lived in that house for over 20 years, and we know that house better than anyone. That was her home. And he said, I don't care what you say. I will never believe that that was an accidental house fire. And if I have to live in a tent and spend the rest of my life in that tent, I'll every last penny I have to prove you wrong. And so for nine months, I cried every day. And he got so tired of listening to me. And he called them every day. And finally, I called a former senator, Trish Whedon, from Purcell that I had known. And I worked, I knew her uh, brother and her niece here at Maysville. They live here. And I told her my situation because I knew she was out of politics, but she was working in the medical field my situation and September 15th and we finally got the amended death certificate and it was a homicide. It was classified as a homicide. Now, uh, 
the OSBI you refer to, that's the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, the state police? Yes, sir. Okay. So were, were they the primary agency, then the primary law enforcement agency that investigated? Well, the Garvin County, a deputy sheriff from Garvin County did try to come, but he had had some issues with some of the volunteer firemen, and they they told the fire chief not to let him investigate it, not to let him in. Because I think he gave one a speeding ticket while they were taking their kids to school or something. It was, it was very minor, just a very minor altercation. Of course, at the time, you know, I don't think they were doing it to keep us from getting anywhere. I think it was just a personal vendetta that they had with the, the deputy. So a deputy sheriff was prohibited from from the scene because he had had an altercation with somebody else about a, a speeding yes. ticket or something. Yes, oh. that's that's correct. Okay, so eventually then, uh, after months, it was determined there was an amended death certificate and it was uh, the death was a homicide. Yes. Uh, had there been other investigation going on during this long period? In other words, of, of a, there probably hadn't been much of a criminal investigation because it, uh, until it was ruled a homicide, there had really been no crime. Am I right? I mean, there, it was... That's, uh, that's- True, but we we were we were doing it ourselves. When we realized that that we might not get any help, then we started collecting things, and we still have a lot of the the burned items from the fire that we put in trunks and put up for safekeeping. That were that way, in case someone did want to look at it and break down the chemicals and see what really started the fire, then we would have that information. Now, I've been told by the state fire marshal and all the agencies. That's all considered um, tainted evidence, and it won't be usable in court. We because, her case because they had released the scene and everything, and it was they right. they weren't the first ones to look at it. You you mentioned um, a minute ago that the ex uh, Tyson uh, had left his job early that day. Does did anybody find out where he went or what what he was doing that uh, at the time of the fire? All the receptionists from that business said was. He left early this morning with his brother. But when we had the grand jury, we found out that when they asked the secretaries if he was there, they testified his timesheet said he was there. But he filled out his own timesheet that day. And the shop foreman said he was not there. Okay, so uh, after it was ruled a homicide after the death was ruled a homicide they ended up then doing a, a criminal investigation apparently and and did go to a grand jury that's well they 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 wouldn't do anything and they wouldn't do anything and finally at christmas it, i was in so much pain and grief um i have a, a friend that i worked with that went to church with with sheila and his wife was an attorney and we talked to her and asked her to refer us to an attorney because Sheila's attorney had quit in January of that year. He was representing us, but he he quit in in December of that year. So, in 2005, we we uh we can still continue to try to get justice. And even the Daily Oklahoman did a story on it. And I have in the interview that the TV or the tele the I'm sorry the newspaper uh, where he said he didn't care what the document said that he as far as he was concerned it was an accidental house fire. So then my husband was really upset, and when we got Larry Belcherick's name, 
we took everything to him and hired him. And he was a local attorney here in Garvin County. And we asked him, do you know a good private investigator? So then we hired the first private investigator. And it was almost like the investigator was playing both sides against the middle. I don't know if Tyson's family was paying him to keep us from going anywhere. Because they, they were, instead of investigating the facts of the fire and things, they tried bringing up stuff like how horrible of a person she was and, and all this stuff. It had nothing to do with the fire. And finally, my husband was so upset, he was pounding on Mr. Belcheric's desk and said, why can't we get an investigation? And he said, well, we could petition a grand jury. And even the detective that, that came out and got our things, I saw him when I was uh, working at Stratford. I went to the store to get me some lunch, and I told him we were petitioning the grand jury. And he told me, he said, you've got something right there. You go with it. So we we worked hard, all the family. We got all the signatures, and we turned them in. And the judge said they we didn't have enough or they weren't valid signatures. But they extended our time. So then we worked hard again. And I made sure I sent every one of the signatures by certified mail or if I took them in person, I got a receipt for them because endlessly every time Sheila would take things to her attorneys, when she would go back to see, they would tell her, I don't have that information. And she was just, she was just distraught because she knew she turned it in. But, you know, that they're not lying. They get rid of it. They don't have the information. And so I made sure that everything I turned in was, was receipted. And so the second time there was enough for the grand jury. And, we, it was held for six days, and then the judge sealed it. Now, the only people that took attorneys into that grand jury were Tyson, his brother, and his wife, because they told me that we couldn't have attorneys in there. And so her second ex-husband testified, and I was upset because I felt like that he felt I was being dishonest because of the, the, uh, the attorneys going in with them. And so I, I assume the attorney went in, so that they could plead the fifth. But since the grand jury sealed, you know, that's just what I would guess because they weren't in long. I stayed so, there. I didn't leave. As the result of the grand jury, you don't really know what the other witnesses said, especially no, they Tyson. It. And, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, they it. And no arrests were made or no arrests resulted, right? Nope. The detective didn't keep investigating until – he was told to just turn it all over to the OSBI because he was upset about it. uh, As of today, now that was when, 2005 we're talking? Yes. Grand jury? Uh Well, no, it it started in 2005, but we didn't actually have it till 2006. Okay, so that's 10 years ago, roughly. Mm Mm-hmm, yes. Uh, And has there been any other, in, in that 10 years since the grand jury, uh, the case is still an open, unsolved homicide. Is that where? Is that how it stands today? Yes, that's how it stands. But after uh, ten years, they destroy uh, the medical examiner destroys all the blood or tissue or body parts of, unless it's a uh, drugs or a uh, robbery, they don't keep them. So we actually paid for them to keep them as long as they would, and then we have them in, secured in a facility at Oklahoma City. So they're still available if uh, if needed. Well, we hope they are because we ha- we stored them up there at a, in a morgue, um, which we uh, were recommended by someone that to put them there. Now, 
obviously you have not given up on this in this 10-year period. So uh, after the grand jury, you said that the, the investigator you hired, you, you thought he might be kind of playing both sides. Uh, do you have an investigator or have you had another investigator since then? Yes, we hired uh, an agency, a agency out of uh, Oklahoma City or more up in that area. And uh, even when we couldn't afford to pay him because the oil field's so slow right now, he told me he would not quit because he did know Sheila personally because he had sold uh, her dad, his dad, uh, a pickup when she worked at Norman for Reynolds Ford. And so he, he it was a personal thing for, for our investigator. And he, we're in contact he, uh, through the Open Records Act, he has uh, requested all the information pertaining to her case with every agency that's involved in it. And I'm not sure if he's gotten anything back yet, but I know that they have received that information at this time. What uh, what would be involved, if if you know, in in trying to get that grand jury uh, testimony unsealed or the uh, or the record unsealed to see what? Tyson and his brother did say, or if they took the fifth, or to find out what happened. Is we there any way to have, do it? Yeah, we would. That judge re- retired at since, and she was she was good friends with Tyson's mother, the judge that was, resided over the grand jury, and she has retired since. And we have all new judges here now, younger judges, and um, we would probably have to hire another attorney, which I think we've had three so far. Um, and we spent a lot of money on it. I know we gave one a $10,000 retainer, and he did absolutely nothing. He was affiliated with our private investigator at the time. But we would have to hire an attorney and take it to court, get a court date, and get it unsealed, if it's even still there, if they didn't destroy it. Now, uh, is is uh, Tyson still in the area? Do you know him? Is he, is he still around, or did he move? <laughs> oh, this is the ironic part. He moved back to Maysville. He just lives a couple miles north of my son and his family. He moved back to the original home where his mother lived. She left so him with Georgia is after. Now. That's where he is right now. Oh. Yes. And his, um, his daughter his daughter lives at Ada. She was daughter, and she's a junior in college. She's doing very well. We do communicate with her. And her son, as I said, just graduated, and he's getting married uh, a week from Saturday. And he's already contacted me and told me that it was very important for me to be there. Told him, I can't promise you, Todd, I'll pray about it. And he said, but, Grandma, you are my mama's mama, and I really, really want you there. He said, we've worked it out so there won't be an issue. We do have a, a – the kids do love us, and we, we love them too. So now, how about the you, – you said the private, your private investigator is working on getting these records from all these agencies um, to review, I assume, and then you know, maybe plan some additional investigation. How about the, uh, the Oklahoma Bureau of Investigation? Uh, they can't close a homicide case, so, but are they actively invest- – are they doing anything that you know of? They're not doing anything, and, and they make it look like they have this wonderful record because they're a PR person. She's very clever. And what they do is when something like this happens, they do build a file on it, and they, they initially investigate it, and then they instead of solving it, they call it the, what they have cleared that case. So it makes it look like they have solved it, 
and it makes it look like they are a glowing agency. But uh, the investigator told my husband, he said, uh, I've got a file on this, and he said, uh, I'll I'll put it up. And he said, even if we got a confession, we probably couldn't get a conviction out of it. But he says, perhaps if the person who takes my place when I retire takes an interest in this, then you might get something done on it. That's what we were told. What What is your feeling today about the how this case has been handled right right from the get go and up until today? Are you uh, obviously you have concerns because nothing there's been no resolution? Um, do you do you have a specific uh, agency or person? that you think is primarily responsible or is the whole system kind of let you down? I think it's basically the whole system because uh, we found out in a roundabout way from the banker at the time that they had sent her toxicology to uh, California, and it's supposed to be the best toxicology uh, agency in the United States, just trying to find some chemical or some kind of drug in her system. But I can clearly tell you that her uh, autopsy says that she had no drugs or alcohol in her system at all. That's the best part of the whole autopsy, as hard as it is for me to read or look over when I review it all. Is that she had nothing in her in her system. But I just I, it's just like there's a conspiracy to just cover it up and just try to discourage it. And we almost just feel like. They think it, she's like a, a animal or a puppy dog that got ran over, and we should just go home and forget about it. And and it's what, like uh, we had the, we had a prayer vigil or prayer service last night. Her aunt wanted to. She said Sheila had been heavy on her mind, and she said, "I know this is short notice, but she said, uh, could we all come out at seven tomorrow and gather in a circle and pray for uh, something for Sheila, some closure for all our family because it's so hard on us." And I have a very strained relationship with this sister-in-law, but it was all her idea, and we had right at 40 people here last night on one-day notice. And we started it with her Bible that was beside her bed that is smoldered and has burnt marks on it, but it survived the fire. So when when her cousin that's a minister here started the ceremony, he read scriptures from her Bible last night. So you're getting a lot of support still, huh? Very, very, very much. Yes, very much. Very, very uh, much. The uh, do you know if the uh, the Oklahoma State Police, the Bureau of Investigation, interviewed Tyson and or his brother? I know they interviewed Tyson because they asked him to take a polygraph, and he told them no. Now he tells people that he goes once a year and takes one to clear his name. I found that out from someone he had worked with in the oil field, and I laughed. I said, I don't think you have to take them multiple times. I think once you take it and you're cleared, that's good. If he is saying that, I wonder, uh, you know, if he could produce what people see it. Uh, the, the, if he's took one or more, then certainly there are reports that would uh, correspond with the with the polygraphs, and if if they, in fact, if it or they, in fact, did clear him, um, I would think he'd want to get that out there. 
I, that's that's my that's my thought as well. But when his daughter did live with us one time, he called her, and she she was even scared of him. And she would always put her phone on speakerphone so that whoever was with her, like her boyfriend or whatever, could hear. And he was really browbeating her and trying to make her feel guilty and, and coming back home. And and uh, he said, he said, Morgan, you don't know how hard it is for me to live like this. I have to live with the fact that people think I killed your mother. He said, you don't know what that's like. And he said, as far as your grandparents, he said, those people didn't want to have anything to do with you for years. And by that time, my blood pressure just shot up. And I said, you liar. I said, you did everything you could to keep us from having any communication with those children. And I said, as far as feeling sorry for you, for people thinking that you killed Sheila, I said, Tyson, she's six feet underground and you're still walking and talking. And I said, you know what? If you are so distraught on dealing with this, then why don't you take a polygraph? You've been asked twice. You were asked by the OSBI and our investigator, and you denied both of them. And I said, or better yet, Tyson, why didn't you testify during the grand jury? Did you did you plead the fifth? And I said, and putting all that aside, why don't you help us find out who killed her unless you know who did? And it was total silence. By that time, I was distraught, and I was starting to cry, and I had to come in the house. And Morgan, Morgan and her boyfriend finished the conversation with her father. And this was, so, oh, about four years ago. So, Susan, as, as we're talking today, what is your theory of what happened on that date, or I, what happened the day of the fire? I feel like he probably wasn't the initial person that killed her. I feel like his wife and her best friend, Amy, had some involvement in it, and then I and I think after it happened, he and his brother went in and set the fires, because Tyson had worked for a fire and safety company at Oklahoma City when he and Sheila were married. I actually have his handwritten uh, resume right in here when he worked for them, and so he knew all about fires and the best way to do it. And the, the day of the fire when he did get here, I was in here in the house and I walked out and I don't remember this. But I have plenty of witnesses that have stepped forward. They said when Dave walked out and went down the steps that Tyson put his arm around Dave and he started to kind of break and he said, I'm so sorry, Dave. I didn't mean for it to happen this way. That were his exact words. Uh, this, uh, I want to compliment you on your tenacity, uh, you know, for the amount of time this has been going on and what you've had to go through and all the roles you've encountered that you've had the stamina and the fortitude to stick with it. Uh, it I, I just can't imagine how frustrating uh, to go through this for year after year after year. Um, do, I'd, is there a website or uh, something where people want more information could go to to learn more about the case? Yes, I post on Her Justice for Sheila DeVinney on Facebook, and we also have a web page, and it's just Sheila DeVinney with no spaces, and I think it's all lowercase, dot O-R-G. And we have, we have the tribute, the, the little slideshow uh, tribute where her daughter, start to start, her daughter actually 
went and taped a, her thoughts about the fire. And we started the slideshow with that, and then my son wrote a song for her, and we put it to music. Um, and it's it's there on, on her webpage. And we get a okay, lot, lot of comments on that. That's the Sheila org. Yes. O-R-G. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now, any idea when your investigator thinks he'll to have these uh, documents from the various agencies? He texts me or communicates with me frequently. And so um, I, I, I know Saturday that he did get one of the green cards back um, from it. <clears throat> and he texted me a picture of it. He was very excited about it and encouraged. And he's just waiting to see how many more he gets. Kate, uh, Delilah, I've been hogging all the time here. Do you have any <laughs> questions? Well, I think, you know, Susan has definitely laid the scenario out. And I just, it, it's so frustrating. I've known about this case for many years. And it's frustrating to me because it, it seems like it could just be an open and shut case. You've got the motive. You've got the opportunity. Um, everything points to this ex-husband. Why has why has he gone scot free? Is beyond it's beyond what I can even think about. But you know, my heart goes out to you and your family, Susan. Um, it, it's just amazing that nothing's been done it, with all of the agencies involved, and that you've had to hire a private investigator. And I hope that he can come up with the answers that finally justice can be served. And you know, that's what we want. We don't want revenge. We want justice. Did Susan, let me ask you this. I, I, I've forgotten earlier I was going to mention it. Did, did you ever consider filing a wrongful death civil suit to compel uh, some of these people into court on a civil case to testify? I, I suspect it's way past the statute of limitations now. But, well, we uh, did file it. We, that was a good okay. question. We did file it. And that's another interesting scenario. We filed it, and we were supposed to renew it every two years. Well, when we went back to renew it, because we knew the time was up, the judge had dismissed it, and no one told us. Jeez, no one. Uh, uh, well, listen, what I'd like to do, Susan, we're running out of time here. I'd, I'd like if you could keep in touch with us and let us know, you know, what progresses here and, and uh, especially if, if your investigator has any luck, you know, assembling some information when he gets responses from these various agencies, um, because we would like to do an update on this. And I'm, I'm just wondering, did you ever uh, consider or have you ever been contacted by something like Dateline? And I know some of these uh, news programs do cold cases and they they do these stories uh i mean this this just seems like something that cries out you know to have people uh people become aware of it and what you've had to go through because it, it just does not seem right yes i did get a call from dateline last week and i oh, emailed good. him he, there there were certain information that he wanted so i went straight to city hall and got a list of all the firemen and sent phone numbers and where they were currently living if they had moved along with, I'm not sure who the the sheriff or the police was. I'm having a little bit of problems and the city clerk couldn't find it in her records. And also 
if you've ever seen the movie Footloose, you know that 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 actually was inspired at Elmore City, which is just 10 miles south of us. Well, when I started teaching, I taught with the real Ariel. <laughs> she was the real person uh, from Elmore City that inspired this, this movie. And later, after we got out and got jobs, her children went to school here, and I taught two of her sons and one of her daughters. Actually, her, her oldest son, I'm not sure because he just moved here if I taught him, but he was an active member on my academic team when I taught. And she's, there, she said that there was new things going on with the Footloose and that they had just signed some more documents. And so I just casually mentioned, Mary, do you know how we could get any kind of movie or program on Sheila? And I'm also talking to another person uh, from New York City that helped them get started. And they told me that we needed to find something of Sheila's that we could put into a museum so that it would be registered in the the national journal or whatever it is that does all the, you know, the, the historical things. And the, the first thing that came to my mind yesterday is I was just, I was just, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't getting, I was getting ready to go buy my great grandson's pair of shoes for school. And his, I was waiting on his mother and Sheila's Bible came, it just came to me. And the lady is in Austin, Texas right now that I'm speaking with, but she told me that when she got back to New York City next week that she was definitely interested in maybe doing some kind of a show on Sheila's case as well. So we do have, we, we have some exciting news and it's all good, but I'm going to be very honest with you all, and I'm trying not to cry, but we've been let down so many times it scares me because every time I get my hopes up, it seems like we get them knocked down again. And it's really hard. It's hard for me to come back up again, even after 12 years. Well, but I'm not one giving of these, up. One of, these, one of these news programs will pick up the story um, just because it needs to be told in a broad area it really and truly does because it, it just seems like you've run into some sort of corruption every step you've taken in this case i i don't know of anybody who's been out there like you have uh, you know pounding this for 12 years um and and something has to give there has to be justice sir you, you would just have to know my dad because growing up my mother had addiction problems, and we didn't know what they were. We we called it Mom's Spell, and we would have to go get Dad. And sometimes we would have to sit up all night long to keep her from burning the house down or trying to poison us or something, and we would play cards all night with Dad and just get very little sleep. And when we got up the next morning, he'd say, now you kids don't have to go to school and, and tell all this at school and everything because you're tough. You can make it. There's a lot of people out there that have went through a lot worse things than this. So you just you just get right in, you go to school, and you do what you're supposed to do. And I, I have to give my dad credit because I think because I was brought up that way that I learned to persevere. Well, you've got also with your daughter's case, too, and this is, again, something, something has got to give on this. I mean, I have to say we've lost Benny. <laughs> His call must have dropped. I thought so. <laughs> it has. So, you know, we're going to have to close out the show because we've run out of time. But hopefully 
you know, again, if you get any updates, let me know, and we'd love to have you come back and, and let the audience know as well. And, you know, my heart goes out to you, Susan, as always, and I hope that something positive happens very soon for you. And I appreciate all the work you do as as crime fighters and helping people. I, my goal well, is if we ever get something done, I want to help other people just like me. Absolutely. Well, I think just, you know, by doing things like this, you help a lot of people because once they see what you've been through or listen to your story, it, it gives them hope to carry on as well. So get, keep in touch, and I know you will, and I hope that we can have you back real soon because I hope you get news real soon. So we're going to close out that. the broadcast We'll close out today, and thanks for being here. Thanks, Denny, and we'll see you on the next episode of Crime Wire. <laughs> Thank you. Walgreens has a surprising amount of stuff, like everything I need to get through my crazy morning routine. Eggs, butter, bread, strawberry jelly, stain remover for said strawberry jelly, brown lunch bags, toothpaste, hair dryers, hairspray, and plenty of under-eye concealer. Oh, and coffee. Lots and lots of coffee. Walgreens at the corner of Happy and Healthy. Boost your routine with deals on infinitive three-foot phone chargers for $10 and two packs of Clorox wipes, now $7.99 with card. Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep the crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. And participating Wendy's for a limited time. Meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. 